In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. There are some to whom our gospel is veiled, St. Paul tells us. There are some to whom our gospel is veiled. Several years ago, when I was in the process of returning to church after a season of falling away, I went on a retreat with some of the other young adults from the new parish I was attending. It was a way for me to gently dip my toe back into the waters of faith. The day started off fine enough. In fact, there were moments that were perfectly lovely. There were small conversations that were gathered around coffee and tea. There were gentle walks that were taken outside in nature, in the beauty of the retreat center. And the day was dotted with silence, time spent in prayer in the chapel where we were. Everything was going just fine. Everything was going just fine until, until we were gathered back together as a group to learn a new prayer practice at least one that was going to be new to me. Latin for divine seeing, visio divina, is what we were about to learn. But basically, it's just a way of praying in which you use images or famous works of art as a way to enter into scripture as opposed to just simply reading it. As we all filed back into the room of the retreat center where we gathered, soon our visual aid was introduced to us. We were going to be spending some time with Rembrandt's famous painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son. If you've never seen it before, the oil on canvas is a breathtaking depiction. In the scene, we see a son who was once thought dead, hairless and tattered, kneeling before his father, who is angled lovingly towards him. The encounter is a symbol of the grace that is soon to come. It's a symbol of love amidst the wretchedness and the mistakes of the past. It's a story that's carried from beginning to end by a love without conditions. As our image drew us into our time of prayer, other people in the room began to remark on things that they noticed in the painting. Some commented on the interplay of lightness and darkness in the painting, noting who was in the foreground, who was in the background, who was in the shadows and why. Other people decided to zero in on details in the subjects, trying to discern what any of these could teach us about the story we were looking at. Basically, everyone was being drawn into the story, everyone except for me. You see, what I didn't mention is that I have a little bit of a history with this parable. The idea that despite our mistakes, despite all the things that we've done wrong in the past, the idea that no matter how much we mess up, that God will always want to be in relationship with us with a reckless abandon is something that just seemed too strange and foreign to me. It seemed too strange and foreign about what I thought I knew about God and certainly about many of the relationships in this world. 
Anyways, beyond that time of prayer, we eventually found ourselves back in the chapel of the retreat center. And as we were in the chapel, our retreat leader and celebrant for the day began to point out different things that he wanted us to notice. Until we eventually got to the table that we were all gathered around, and he asked us if we noticed anything weird, anything strange or unusual about it. Eyes searching the outside of the piece, they eventually landed on a big crack on the side of the altar, which was shaped like a chalice, shaped like a vessel or a cup. And what he then told us was that that crack was not a consequence of wear and tear, it was not a consequence of age and time, The artist who was commissioned to make the chalice-shaped altar had just about finished it, but took one final glance and said, you know what, it's just too perfect. And so with intention, the artist carved that crack into the side of the altar. He wanted it to be a symbol that perfection is not a prerequisite to receive. He wanted everyone to know that it was not... um, He wanted everyone to know that you were invited, not in spite of your misgivings and failures, but because of them. As you can imagine, I then began to have an emotional response to this table and to the information that came with it. And all of the weight about my own mistakes and my own failures that I'd been carrying that morning and many mornings before that morning began to feel lighter. They began to slip away. In short, it felt like the first time in a long time that the gospel didn't feel so veiled to me. It felt like a moment when I was finally meeting Jesus face to face. I tell that story. I tell that story because I think it has a powerful connection with our gospel passage for today. In our gospel for today, we hear an account of an incredible scene a scene that also has something to say about imperfect people, if you look for it. Six days after saying that some of his followers would experience the kingdom of God in a very real and present way, Jesus delivers on this promise. He takes Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain, and what happens is truly incredible. Jesus's appearance changes. He shimmers, he sparkles, he dazzles white. And he begins to be in a deep conversation with both Moses and Elijah, which is pretty incredible since they were both long dead. And then more incredible still, we are told that a voice comes out of the sky and points to Jesus and says, this is my beloved. Won't you listen to him? But the thing that I find incredible about this moment is not all of the wonder and the dazzling and the conversations with dead people. The thing that I find incredible about it is who was invited to see it, Peter, James, and John. In short, what happens in this scene is a great unveiling where the awesome reality of the gospel is made known and eventually spread, not through perfect people, but through three disciples whose failures, flaws, and misgivings are well-documented. People who knew what it meant to make a mess of things and yet would soon be conduits for the glory of God. And when I hold this story together with my story and with your story and with every story in the scriptures, what I sense is that the golden strand that unites them, the common truth in all, 
is that we follow a God who knows the lines and color, every detail of each story of brokenness, and yet invites us into relationship, not in spite of our misgivings and failures, but because of them. Beloved in Christ, if this gospel, if this God feels veiled to you, let one thing be certain, and that is the unshakable truth that Jesus is calling to you in relationship. And perfection is not a prerequisite to receive. Because if perfection was necessary, then he would have never called Peter, a man who denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And if perfection was what was really needed, then he wouldn't have called James and John, because they once lusted after the wrong kind of glory. And if perfection was truly what was needed to follow, to be in relationship with God, then he definitely, definitely wouldn't have called Paul a persecutor of Christians who God transfigured into an evangelist for the gospel and a martyr for the faith. Beloved, if the demons and the haunts of your past life, of your misgivings and failures, make you feel like you are beyond repair, know that every story of every saint and every character in scripture has found people that God was able to work through, rough edges included. And so surely, surely this God, this awesome, magnificent, all-powerful, all-loving, transfiguring God, if he can work with their rough edges, then surely he can work with yours too. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.